as I shared yesterday, my husband and I, we met in dental school and we um, began courting and got engaged and we decided that we wanted to uh, sign up as missionaries. And so we signed up as missionaries and then in the year of 2006, May, um, we graduated from dental school, put our house on the market in June. <coughs> Can you guys hear me okay back there? I know, I'm sorry, my voice is really quiet, okay. Do you think this will pick it up? Okay. And um, so we graduated in May of 2006, put our house on the market in June. We got married in July and we were prepared to leave um, for the mission field in Trinidad in August. But um, things didn't go as planned because our work permits got delayed and they said it was going to be delayed until October. And then that turned into another delay until December. And then it turned into another delay until who knows when we didn't know. So we decided, okay, we better start working to start paying off our debt, right? <clears throat> so in January, we started work. And um, remember, I mentioned we listed our house um, on the market in June, okay? So this has now already been six months. And now by March, it's been, what, like eight months now, right? And during this time, this house is located in Loma Linda, right? So it's a good market out there because it's near the Loma Linda University and um, it was also listed in the summertime, right, when things should be well, right? But during this course of eight months, we only had one person come and look at our house. And that kind of boggled us, like we weren't sure why, but you know, we didn't really think too much about it. Well, in March, uh, one day, in one day, we got two offers on the house. And we thought, this is so strange, okay, you know? Well, we accepted one of the offers and we um, then started packing our things. And then it hit us like, where are we gonna live now? Because, and where are we gonna store our things? I mean, we had a house full of things, but of course we were students at the time, so we didn't have a whole lot of stuff, but we still had things, you know? And there we were packing up our boxes, not really sure what we were going to do with our things. And then the week after we uh, accepted the offer on the house, uh, now at this point our boxes were nearly packed and um, we were trying to figure out what to do with them. And then we got a phone call that day and um, it was from the GC saying, we have your work permits now and you guys are uh, ready to go next month. We're going to pick up your things this week. We're going to send a container to pick up your boxes to start packing. And we're like, we already did start packing. And we thought, oh, God's timing is just so perfect all the time. It amazed us. And come to find out in 2007, as you know, um, the housing market crashed, right? And our house sold right before then. We got a really good price for it. And we knew that God's hand was in it. You know, so that that was our mentality when we were headed over to the mission field in April, and you know we knew that God was leading us there. Uh, this is a picture of the hospital that we served at. Uh, we ended up being there for three years, and um, 
When we arrived there, the next morning, somebody was supposed to come pick us up to bring us to the hospital, you know, so we could meet the director and, and things and show us around. And uh, they said they would come in the morning. Well, you know, 10 o'clock came and we thought, okay, you know, maybe they're just like on island time or something, you know, like, we'll wait. And then noon came and then we we're starting to get hungry, right? Because we didn't have breakfast and we... We're getting hungry for lunch, right? And so we thought, maybe we should just make our way to the hospital ourselves, right? So we went out and we had to walk a ways away to the main street and uh, we were like, okay, I'm sure there's some kind of public transportation we can take here, you know? So we noticed people getting on some of these, like um, they call maxi taxis. They're like kind of like vans, you know, that would pick up um, like shuttles, but they were taxis. So we thought, okay, we can we can ask one of these taxi drivers like where you know we go, right? How to get there? And so you know, uh, good old Americans we are, right? We waving them down, right? Like how they do in New York, right? Like waving, like stop, right? And they would come and they would just wipe whiz right past us, right? We're like, that's so weird because they're stopping for everybody else, you know? So we tried it again. We're waving. And, just was right time. We're like, I don't understand what's going on, you know. <laughs> so we went and we asked uh, a local person, like, I don't understand that, you know. How do we get onto one of these maxi taxis, you know? And they're not stopping for us. And they're, uh, you know, we're going like this. They're not stopping. This. That's the problem. <laughs> You're not signaling properly, you know. So come to find out, if you want to ride one of these taxis, you have to either go like this like this, like this, or like, or what, I don't know, some, right? Like to say exactly where you want to go, then that specific taxi that's going that direction will stop for you, right? We're like, that makes sense. But then now we had to figure out all the things, and we're like, what do we do to get to the hospital? How do we sign that? And so anyway, we ended up getting there somehow, right? Um, but, uh, I, I should pause and say that we, our motto during our time in Trinidad was um, that it's a blessing in disguise, right? Blessing in disguise because we came through a lot of difficult times uh, during our time there, um, m partly because of cultural differences that we found um, there. For example, when we would walk down the street, it was not uncommon for people to point fingers at us and say, oh, tiny, tiny ching chong, right? And say derogatory things to us, but it wasn't just because we were Asian. Um, it was because at, in Trinidad, unbeknownst to us, um, um, Chinese people were used in the past as kind of like indentured slaves, right? Um, they came to Trinidad um, in the 1700s to replace the African slaves at the time and that went on until like the late 1800s and so we didn't know about this history you know and so people kind of looked down on us right and we thought how are we going to reach these people and share Jesus with them when this is how they you know see us you know and so we thought okay Laura there's the plan in this you told us to come here you know we're here to serve um, you know, we moved into our apartment and uh, there was mold everywhere, you know. Uh, we were in a basement unit and uh, we would have to wipe it down and bleach it and uh, it was just quite an experience, right? But we knew 
in the back of our minds that, you know, God is using this time here in Trinidad for us uh, to develop our characters, right? Uh, so that's why we said it was a blessing in disguise. You know, through these things, God was trying to teach us to uh, trust in and to uh, refine ourselves, right? Well, at the time uh, when we arrived there in April, uh, we were experiencing all these difficult times, but we were also uh, I w we were also expecting a child, and I didn't know at the time. Uh, I was pregnant um, when we arrived with our firstborn um, son. Well, so you could imagine with you know all these things that we're going through with our uh, adapting to our new environment and newly married and on top of that my hormones were raging right <laughs> so that just was not a good combination and let me tell you that we had a very very difficult time Fred and I um, you know when you bring two people together from two different backgrounds um, when we first started dating we referred to each other as our matching puzzle piece, right? Because that's how we felt. We felt like we are perfect for each other, you know? But after we got married, something happened and that veil, veil was re removed from our eyes and we thought, what were we thinking? And we actually said, we are not compatible in any way. I don't understand why God brought us together, you know? Well, what went wrong? You know, we were talking about yesterday at the marriage seminar that the problem was that, you know, when we have one person's will here and one person's will here, Fred and I, we were like two positive magnets, you know, repelling one another because I was saying, I'm positive that I'm right. And he said, I'm positive that I'm right. Let me share with you that his, in his family, uh, you know, him and his to his parents, um, his mother is the one that took care of everything in the household, right? And in my family, my dad was the one that took every, care of everything in the household, right? So you know what's going to come next, right? I'm like sitting back thinking, Fred, you got to do all these things, you know? And he's sitting back thinking, Jane, you got to do all these things, you know? And we're like, okay, oh wait, <laughs> this is not going to work, you know? But this, this went on for a while, and uh, we were a little disappointed at first, you know. Uh, but God was slowly trying to teach us that we needed to both be surrendered to God. And I'm going to share more about that later. But, you know, when I have the Spirit of God dwelling in me, and He has the Spirit of God dwelling in Him, when you come together, then two can finally become one, right? Um, well, this took us a while to understand. It says here in the Adventist tome, As life with its burdens of perplexity and care meets the newly wedded pair, the romance with which imagination so often invests marriage disappears. Husband and wife learn each other's character as it was impossible to learn in its previous association. This is a most critical period in their experience. The happiness and usefulness of their whole future life depend upon their taking a right course now. Often they discern in each other unsuspected weaknesses and defects, but the hearts that love has united will discern excellencies also heretofore unknown. Right? 
But as I was saying, we asked the Lord, why did you bring us together? We did not understand what those excellencies were at the time. We didn't recognize them. Satan was trying really hard to break up our family, but God was trying even harder to save our family, right? He would not give up on our family. And so he, I believe, sent us uh, another missionary family. It was the Sandoval family that came to serve as missionaries in Trinidad. And uh, through this family, we learned so much. And I want to say, you know, I'm, I don't think that we should look at others as examples, right? We should only look at God as our true, perfect example, right? But God was desperate to save us, right? And I do believe he used this family to see what a godly family could be like. And he taught us uh, marriage values, family values, um, the importance of diet and dress, and many other things just by the presence of this family in our lives, right? And so we saw it as quite a blessing. Well, um, also during this time, you know, I said God was desperate to reveal to us uh, how we can live a better life in Him, right? And so um, at this point in time, our oldest, our son was one. He was 16 months old and um, he was a very happy boy, you know? He was a very mild-mannered, sweet, lovable boy, right? Um, but one night at the age of 16 months, um, at two o'clock in the morning, we woke up hearing a scream coming from his bedroom. And so we had a monitor, uh, you know, hooked up to his room because, you know, we were trying to sleep chain him in his younger years and we had this camera to keep an eye on him. And we looked in our camera and we saw him screaming and we uh, were just like not sure what was going on you know and so we thought okay maybe he just had a bad dream and he he'll go back to sleep you know so we kind of waited it out because um, uh, we didn't want to go in there at the time because um, he was he had learned to sleep well on his own and um, it took us a while to teach him that, you know? So we were trying to uh, wait, and we were observing him from the camera, and he wouldn't stop, you know? If not, it got louder. But what was so interesting to us is that he had backed himself all the way up to the wall, to the end of, edge of that crib, to the wall, and he was screaming like he was afraid of something, you know? And so then we thought, we better go in there. So we went in there, and we held him, and um, he wouldn't stop still. And it was so strange, because, you know, of course if we held him, he would be appeased and stop crying, but he didn't. So we thought, we better pray, you know, and ask God to help, you know, calm him, you know. And so we prayed. And the moment my husband started praying, he stopped crying. But the moment he ended his prayer, he started crying again. So we thought, this is so strange, you know? So we kept 
consoling him, comforting him, and then we thought, we better start singing. You know, we'll start singing to him. Maybe that'll help calm him down. So we started singing some hymns. And then the moment we started singing these hymns, he stopped crying. And then again, the moment we stopped singing, he started crying again. And we thought, okay, this is very odd, but it didn't click to us at that time for some reason, the connection that was going on. So eventually he went to sleep and we put him in his crib and um, we slept the rest of the night. The next day, again at 2 o'clock in the morning, the same exact time, he started screaming again. This went on for probably for about four days, right? At the exact same time at 2 o'clock every night, he started crying, screaming, right? And he was up against the edge of the crib. Well, that fourth night when we saw him doing that, we were watching him in the camera, and he was backed against the wall again and looking out of his crib like there was something there, you know? And then it hit us. There is something in his room, you know? It's the devil tormenting him, you know? And so we went in there and we thought, this is a serious matter. This is a spiritual matter, you know? So we started praying and we didn't stop. We sang we didn't stop until he was calmed and he was able to go to sleep. That next day, my husband and I, we, well, that night, right after we prayed, we said, Lord, show us, because at that time in our life, we were studying, actually, what I had shared yesterday about how we must guard the avenues to our soul and how we can allow things into our home, into our lives, that will allow a pathway for the devil to enter in, right? So we prayed to God that night <clears throat> to show us what that might be, right? And that next day, my husband realized that the Lord told him <clears throat> that it was the DVDs in our home, right? Now, at this point in our time, it wasn't like outrightly devilish DVDs. You know what I'm talking about? It was just DVDs. There might have been some action movies and things like that, but at this point in our life, we didn't see it as being harmful, right? But God was telling us, no, it's these things in your home that are allowing the devil to enter in. And so that day, we went through all of our things. We filtered through our DVDs and threw away every one that we had, except for like our nature DVDs and stuff like that, right? Guess what? That night at 2 o'clock, did he cry? No. He slept peacefully, right? All through the night. And he never had that episode again. It says in Adventist home, those who would not fall a prey to Satan's devices must guard well the avenues of the soul. They must avoid reading, seeing, or hearing that which will suggest impure thoughts. The mind must not be left to dwell at random upon every subject that the enemy of souls may suggest. The heart must be faithfully sentinelled, or evils within will, without will, awaken evils within and the soul will wander in darkness, right? We started to realize that we needed to guard ourselves so that we can protect our home and our family. 
So, shortly after that, when Josh hit the age of two, we felt convicted that we needed to leave Trinidad because there were things going on at the time, and our children, well, our oldest especially, we had another one at the time, he was four months old, um, were being exposed to influences that were not, not very good. Um, I don't need to go into detail, I guess, but we decided for whatever reason we needed to leave. So we decided to leave and we settled into the town of Ringgold, Georgia, which was uh, midway between his family and college down his work in Somerville. And there we settled into our new life and then we quickly turned into a family of five. Well, we were starting to settle in and we are starting to get comfortable in our new life, but too comfortable, if you know what I mean, right? We had moved from the mission field. We are now in America, enjoying the luxuries of America. You know, I was shopping and getting into Pinterest and trying to find out, you know, how to, you know, throw these elaborate Pinterest parties and uh, it was getting a lot out of hand, you know. I was wasting a lot of my time, but I didn't realize that at the time. My husband was, you know, in surfing the internet, right, into sports and things like that, and we were just living the typical American life, right? But God said, no, you're getting too comfortable in this life, right? And he again sent somebody else to show us uh, share with us the message of country living. And then we realized, as we self-reflected upon our lives and what we were doing with our time, where our thoughts were, we realized we need to make a change in our life because this is not the path that we want to head down, right? And so because um, of the signs of the times that we were living in at that time, and for the sake of, again, protecting our children and our family from influences of the world, uh, we decided to move to the country. I'm going to share more about that on Friday as well, about our um, process um, in doing that. So Fred, he um, started looking for land and he went to Jasper, Tennessee, about an hour away to look for some country property. and. While he was out there, he came across the dental office and he found out that they were looking for um, an associate. But at the time, he was tied down to his job in Somerville and um, he had a contract there. And um, he didn't know how he would leave. And so he started praying and fasting that week. He said, I'm going to pray and fast for a week so that God can reveal to me what he wants us to do. And so he started praying and fasting, and then he got a phone call from the owner of the Somerville office. And he said, um, Fred, I am wanting to sell my practice. Would you like to buy it? You know, um, I have somebody else who's interested in buying it, but I wanted to give you priority. So you know, um, I'll give you a week to think about it, right? So he thought, OK. you know." Um, it was a really good practice at the time, and, and um, it was doing very well. And it was almost Satan's way of preventing us from moving to the country, you know. And so he prayed and fast, and uh, because he was praying and fasting, God immediately told him, "No, this is not 
the job that I want you to take. Um, this is my way out for you. I'm providing a way out for you to move to the country. And so we knew that God's hand was in it. And he was so gracious to provide for us that path for us to move out to the country. Well, uh, while he was working out, so he took the job in Jasper, and while he was working out there, he found out about a practice for sale in Pikeville. But he thought, I don't want to buy a practice. I don't want to commit to being an owner of a practice, and it takes too much of my time, and that's just not what I'm looking to do. But he thought, I'll just go ahead and take a look. So he went to uh, Pikeville and saw this practice, and he felt convicted in his heart that God was telling him to take this practice. Well, um, at the time, they were asking uh, $425,000 to buy this practice. And he said, okay, Lord, um, if you want us to buy this practice, I'm going to offer almost half the price. <laughs> and um, if it's your will, um, you'll allow it to go through, right? So he offered half the price, and they accepted. <laughs> uh, and come to find out later, after we... Uh, met the manager of the office and we're getting things settled, the manager said, you, um, your family was destined to be here because I've been praying for a dentist to come, a good Christian dentist to come and buy this practice and nobody would commit. Now there was a dentist, she said, that had put an offer onto this practice and they were in contract. But the day that Fred called to put in the offer, they canceled that contract with that other dentist because they were trying to get a hold of him to, you know, continue on with the, the, the contract, right? And they could not get a hold of him. They tried calling him for a week, they said, and they just, he never answered, never returned their calls. And she said, I believe that that was an angel holding this practice for you so you can buy it. It was amazing to us to see how God was not just leading in our lives, but how he was working on the hearts of the staff there in the office as well to pray for um, us to be there, really. Well, so we put our house on the market uh, the house that we lived in Ringgold, and um, we were now in Esker at this time. And um, one cold winter morning, we got a phone call um, from the water company of Ringgold, and they said, "Your, um, we got a call from one of your neighbors that there's water gushing out of your house. At this time, I was living um, with Fred and Pikeville in a small rental house. And so we right away knew what was going on because that night was one of the coldest nights that winter. And we knew that uh, one of our pipes had burst, right? So there is our house. Uh, it, there was water that had gushed out and it was so cold that it froze, right? And we said it looked like a winter wonderland, you know? Like outside just looked like that, icicles everywhere. and. 
uh, the front porch was uh, covered in ice, like you can ice skate on it, you know, and when we got this call, we thought that this is too much. Like this, I don't, you know, this is, we're in escrow. We are um, getting, just about to have sold the house, you know, and this is happening. We thought this can be none other than God speaking to us, right? To share with us, um, look, your life is still in my hands, you know, don't worry. And when we got that call, typically I, I think we may have, you know, been anxious, you know, worried, concerned, you know. But we had this unnatural peace in our hearts, and we prayed together, and we said, it's okay, Lord, you know. If this house is ruined and we can't sell it, it's okay with us, because we know that your hand is in it, and that you have led us to Pikeville, and whatever the circumstance, um, we're going to trust you all the way, you know. So Fred went to the house, uh, canceled work, and uh, drove over there to check on it, and uh, he opened the door and was expecting water to be everywhere, you know. I mean, we didn't know what to expect at this point. And uh, he walked in, and he said, nope. Oh, there's no water on the floor. Okay, this is good. Well, let me check the rest of the house, right? So he continued to walk into the house and went from room to room to room. Anyway, long story short, the only water he found in the house was two small puddles this big uh, in his office, right? Uh, downstairs from where the leak had happened, right? We were confused. We didn't understand what was going on because there was so much water outside the house, but n essentially none inside, and we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know if there was wall damage or not, and so we had somebody come and inspect the house to check on the, uh, you know, the condition of it. and. The inspector, after looking through the whole house and tearing down part of the wall to just make sure everything was good, he said, this is a miracle. I'm, I don't understand what just happened, but the pipe broke in such a way where water just gushed outside of this house, and none of it came inside, and I don't understand how that happened, you know? And we knew right away that, yes, it was a miracle. It was the hand of God. God was showing us over and over and over again, this is my plan for you, right? Trust in me. Trust in my plan, right? But sad to say, um, there was a delay in God's plan, and I believe it was because God was trying to teach us during this time uh, that we needed to work on our family life, work on our marriage before he can continue on. Um, let me pause before I read this um, by saying that when, when we moved to Pikeville, we were looking for land, right? Um, there was a land that became available um, through his assistant. His assistant said, um, you know, I have this land for sale. 
um, you know, why don't you take a look at it? So we took a look at it, and we kind of thought, no, this is not the land, um, and we moved on. And we continued looking land from land to land, and this process took us, sad to say, two years, right? And during this time, we thought, why is, uh, why are we delaying this, you know? Why, God brought us here two years ago. Why haven't we moved forward, you know? But looking back after those two years, it was because God was trying to show us that um, your lives need to be right first before you can move on and do country living, right? To live a life that um, sur completely surrendered to me in order for me to work and bless you in this new life that I have planned for you, right? It says here, there are some who seem to be always seeking for the heavenly pearl, but they do not make an entire surrender of their wrong habits. They do not die to self that Christ may live in them. Therefore, they do not find the precious pearl. They do not take up the cross and follow Christ in the path of self-denial and sacrifice. Almost Christians, they seem near the kingdom of heaven, but they cannot enter there. Almost, but not wholly saved, means to be not almost, but wholly lost. That's found in Christ's Object Lessons, page 118. We were almost there, but not wholly. There were still some things in our life that I'm going to share with you tomorrow, um, things that we had not completely given up. And because of that, God was trying to teach us, you have more work to be done before you can continue in my plan for you. Well, um, during this time, we soul-searched and things, and I'll go more into that tomorrow, but at the end of that the two years, we ended up coming back to the land that we first saw two years prior. It was the land that my assistant, uh, his assistant owned, and uh, we ended up purchasing that property when uh, the door was open for us, and the Lord uh, opened that door um, to say, you're ready now to go forward, right? And we bought it for uh, uh, nearly half the price um, of what land was going for at the time. And uh, we saw that as well as the hand of God. Well, I'm going to take some time right now um, to share some things that God taught us in our marriage. Um, as I said, we had a very difficult time when we first got married up until recent years, actually. Um, almost to the point of separation. And the reason for that was because uh, pride was in the way, right? Uh, it says in Proverbs, only by pride cometh contention, right? And because of the pride that we had in our lives, we were not willing to give up self. Self was on the throne and God was not. And uh, because of that, we there was contention in our home for quite some time. It says in Adventist home, the atmosphere surrounding the souls of fathers and mothers fills the whole house and is felt in every department of the home. Parents should, in their words and deportment toward each other, give to the children a precious living example of what they desire them to be. Well, during this time, we're trying to refine our children's characters, right? Like, children, you need to work on this and this and this, right? Why are you not obeying mommy and this and this and this, right? God was telling us, you're the problem. <laughs> 
You and Fred are the problem. How can you expect them to follow a God that you're not even following, right? It says, Father and Mother, bind your hearts in closest, happiest union. Do not grow apart, but bind yourselves more closely to each other. Then you are prepared to bind your children's hearts to you by the silken cord of love. Right? So we didn't understand this point. We were trying to, uh, well, we did to a point. We were trying to help ourselves, right? We read a lot of these self-help type books that you would find in the ABC store, right? Books on marriage, books on parenting, right? The love language book and all sorts of things, right? But it wasn't making a difference in our marriage, right? The problem was that we were trying to help ourselves, right? Self-help, right? But that's the problem, right? That self was on the throne, right? But we needed to relinquish self so that God could take control, right? And he was teaching us this, that you need to stop controlling your own life, your own future, and allow me to take complete control of your life, right? The foundation of a happy marriage, I believe, is the full surrender of self to God, right? It says, religion is needed in the home. Only this can prevent the grievous wrongs which so often embitter married life. Only where Christ reigns can there be deep, true, unselfish love. Then soul will be knit with soul, and the two lives will blend in harmony. Right? What a beautiful thing, right? And that's what we desperately wanted. So we began to search in our hearts um, sins that we might have in our lives. We asked for God to reveal to us what those things might, might be. And sometimes those things can be revealed through your spouse, right? And typically, you don't want to hear those things from your spouse, right? <laughs> but let me tell you and say, Thank your spouse when that happens, right? Because God has brought you two together for that purpose, I believe, right? Not solely, of course, because he wants you to eventually work as a team in his ministry, right? Do his work together. But I do believe that couples are brought together to refine one another, right? And so we need to be thankful for that. Unless you have an earnest desire to become children of God, you will not understand clearly how to help each other. To each other, ever be tender and thoughtful, giving up your own wishes and purposes to make each other happy. That's difficult to do, right? When you bring two people together. But it says, day by day you may make advancement in self-knowledge. Day by day, you may learn better how to strengthen your weak points of character. The Lord Jesus will be your light, your strength, your crown of rejoicing, because you yield the will to His will. Right? It is a difficult thing for us to do, but it says here that the Lord Jesus can be our light and our strength, right? And we must allow Him to take control in that soul-searching and uh, relinquishing our sins is a day-by-day -day experience, right? A victory unto victory experience. 
It doesn't happen overnight. It must be a battle that we wage against self and against the devil to be able to free ourselves from the bondage of sin. Let me tell you, married people, that if you are in a struggling relationship now or or feel like there's no hope, let me tell you that there is hope because Fred and I were on the verge of separation. But he has shown us a better life in him to be able to taste now a piece of heaven on earth now. This is Fred and I um, on our anniversary trip that we took just a month ago. Um, um, During this time, we were able to uh, pray about our future, the future of our family, um, the goals that we had for the year and for our children, for ourselves. it was a sweet, precious time. And um, this trip was much, much more sweeter than our first honeymoon ever was. Because when we first got married, we didn't know what love was. We didn't know what sacrifice was. But by the grace of God and His mercy in our lives, we now have experienced what heaven is like. Uh, because we have fallen in love with one another, Um, through the struggles in our marriage, uh, through the difficulties, and because God has brought us out of that darkness, we understand more now what true love is, right? Determined to be all that it is possible to be to each other, continue the early attentions, and every way encourage each other in fighting the battles of life steady to advance the happiness of each other, let there be mutual love, mutual forbearance, then marriage, instead of being the end of love, will be, as it were, the very beginning of love. The warmth of true friendship, the love that binds heart to heart, is the foretaste of the joys of heaven. Do you want to experience heaven today in your home and in your marriage? Then you must surrender yourselves holy to God. Bring your sins before Him and He will be your light, your strength, your crown of rejoicing. Okay, let's go ahead and bow our heads for prayer. Lord Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your graciousness and your mercy in our lives. Lord, it is only because of you that I'm standing here today. It's only because of you that Fred and I are still together. It's only because of you that we can enjoy the joys of this life, the joy of serving you. Lord, teach us what it means to surrender our whole selves to you. Reveal to us every sin that may beset us, that we may be able to experience the joy and the freedom and the life anew with you. Lord, give us the strength. Give us the wisdom to know how to do that. Teach us how to follow in your path that we may be more like you. As I pray in your name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.